prominent role in Matthew's gospel, as we're actually going to see this morning. And so, but before we dive in, let me just um, put one thing on your radar. Uh, we'll be making an announcement this Sunday during our live stream about uh, COVID updates, reopening plans. And so be sure to tune in. That'll be Sunday morning. Um, that'll be some exciting stuff to, to talk about. But for this morning, we're in Matthew 10. Let me pray for us and we'll dive into God's word together. So Lord, as we head into the weekend, um, we're reminded that you don't sleep, you don't make transitions, that the, the rising and falling of kingdoms, the coming of seasons, ends of week, all those things, Lord, those are just all human constructs. But you, Lord, are perfectly at peace and at rest on your throne this morning. And there has never been a moment that you have not been reigning. And we are thankful we can look to you high on your throne this morning and draw great comfort from the fact that you are divinely orchestrating everything, that there are no surprises, that there is nothing that's happening outside of your purview or your control. There's nothing that uh, has caught you off guard. And because of that, we can walk in perfect peace without fear, without anxiety, because we have a living hope. And so, Lord, direct our hearts and our thoughts to that and help us to see in this passage that 2,000 years before any of us were even here, you had us in mind. You had your church in mind. And, Lord, help us to be encouraged by that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you open your Bibles to Matthew 10, as a reminder, obviously the chapters were not in verses, divisions were not part of Matthew's original gospel or part of any any letter or book of the Bible's original um, autographer. It was these were put in later to help us reference and read and such. And so, so we that's important to note because when we come to the end of chapter nine, look in verse thirty-five. It says, "And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel." healing every disease. And when he saw them, he had compassion for them. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then we begin chapter 10. But obviously in Matthew's original writings, there was no transition here. Um, this fed right into the next section. So he asked, this is interesting, he asked the disciples to pray that God would raise up harborer, uh, harvesters, laborers to go into the harvest, meaning the, 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 the people, ministry to the people. And then immediately in verse 1, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out. And then he sent them out. So it's interesting. Oftentimes, um, God uses us on a human level to answer the things we're asking him for. And so a lot of times we may be praying for someone's salvation. We may be praying for God's movement into their hearts. We may be praying that God would bless a particular person. And God hears that prayer and says, yes, I agree with that prayer. Now I'm going to put it in your heart for you to be the one 
to do that very thing. And that's not a contradiction. That's just God's will, him living and moving in us. Um, we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who wills and acts to work in us first. And so that's what we see here. He's praying to the disciples. The disciples are praying along with them. And then uh, God says, I hear your prayer. And so I'm going to anoint the very ones who are praying to go and do this thing. And so Jesus gives them a commission. And that's really what we have here in chapter 10. We get to have a bird's eye view or kind of a, um, we're sitting on the outside of the campfire listening to a story and, and Jesus is addressing his apostles. And that's significant that it says here, look in verse two, the names of the 12 apostles. Remember at the time they were merely disciples, okay? It was not until after Jesus rose from the grave, went back to earth, back to heaven, commissioned the apostles to carry forward his mission that they became to that they came to be known these 12 or these 11 12 minus Judas as the sent ones as the ones that God had commissioned and anointed to carry on his mission and so remember Matthew's writing this 30 years later and this shows us that even at this early stage of church life in the life of the early church people understood this idea of apostolic authority they understood this idea that Jesus had commissioned his original disciples in a unique way to carry on the leadership of the church, which means they would have been looking to the apostles for teaching, for their letters, for their writing. That's why we invest, why God has given us his New Testament, why it's invested with authority for us because it was written by the apostles or their close associates and friends who, who wrote alongside of them. But, but nonetheless, um, what we see here is that Jesus gives them, oh, this is interesting, gave them authority. Um, and we're going to see this come back into play at the end of Matthew 28, right? I give you authority, disciples or apostles, to carry my gospel into all the nations, teaching the church what to do and believe and to be obedient. And again, this is really important for us because it helps us understand ultimately where authority lies. Okay, a lot of times we like to make distinctions between, um, in fact, I just saw a, a, a little tweet about this yesterday. Someone who says, well, I, my ultimate authority is Jesus. And because um, the church says to believe the Bible, I'm going to believe the Bible. But my ultimate authority is Jesus, not the Bible. And that's a misnomer. That's a misunderstanding. That's a misconception. Because, first of all, how do we know about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Well, the Bible is our only authority for faith and practice. It's the only place that we get an accurate view of who Jesus is. And Jesus um, is investing his authority in these apostles who will carry on this mission after him. And so, again, just a reminder, we can't know Jesus apart from his word. Okay, We can't know Jesus apart from what has been divinely revealed about him into his word from his word so that's kind of framing up what we have here and interestingly as you look into this um, list of apostles who is first peter he was acknowledged from the very beginning as the de facto leader he was the first among equals which means that he didn't have any special authority ecclesiastical authority contra the roman catholic church 
but he was sort of the natural leader and he was listed first here. And so, so let me break down this passage really quick for us because time is getting away. Um, verses 5 through 15, uh, and in your Bible it might say Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. These seem to be instructions he is giving them for their current mission. In other words, he gives them a trial run. He sends them out on mission to, to heal and to teach like he's been doing. And, and he is um, essentially... Um, equipping them for mission and ministry, giving them a sense of urgency, what it means to, to, to prioritize the values of the kingdom as they're going out preaching and teaching. But then Jesus makes a... We don't know what that was out there, but that was scary. Um, but then Jesus makes a transition in verse 16. Well, let me use a Disney World analogy. If you've ever been to Disney World... Um, one of the things that you note as you go from land to land, like Frontierland to Adventureland to Toontown or whatever, um, there are no abrupt transitions at Disney World. They, they blend in, they, they combine elements from one land to another land so that it's sort of this seamless, you walk from this place to this place. And that's what's happening here. And so Jesus in verses five through 15 is clearly directing them um, in their current ministry, in other words, what they were doing right then, right there in 30 AD in Palestine, to what they would be doing in an ongoing way after Jesus was gone. And so this is why we see um, uh, these, these different instructions, things that Jesus is, is telling them. For example, verses 19 through 20, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, the, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. In other words, we really see this come to play prominently, don't we? In where? In Peter's life, in Acts 4, when he and John are standing before the council, they're questioning them, and they're, these are untrained men, but the, the, the scribes and Pharisees, they're astounded. They say, these are just ignorant fishermen. Where did they get these words? Well, Jesus had promised them by his Holy Spirit, he would give them to words, words to say. So this is part of their apostolic ministry that's happening after Jesus goes back into, um, goes, ascends back into heaven. Now, let me just point a few things out in this text. And these are, and, and I would kind of call this great expectations or or thunderclaps of important truths that we who are followers of Christ need to keep in mind that will characterize what we would call the apostolic age or the preaching of the, of the gospel of the kingdom until Jesus comes. And this is so important. It goes right along with this theme that we see in 1 Peter that we are sojourners, we are strangers, we are exiles. These are not our home. And, and what we see in these verses Again, are these thunderclaps, these warnings, projections from Jesus about what life this side of eternity is going to look like, what we should come to expect while we should not be surprised. Remember how Peter says, do not be surprised when, 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 when suffering comes upon you as if something strange is happening? Well, Jesus, Peter says this because I'm, no doubt, I think he's reflecting upon these words from Jesus, when he says, look, they're going to, disciples, they're going to persecute you. If they persecuted me as the master, of course, they're going to persecute um, my servants. Okay. And so that's something we need to be aware of. 
Um, not to be surprised in this day and age when not everyone responds positively to the gospel or the kingdom or the Christian witness. It doesn't mean we're necessarily doing something wrong. We might be doing everything right, but Jesus promises there will be opposition to the gospel. A second thing that Jesus notes that can really be jarring for us as 21st century Christians is this idea that allegiance and affection for Jesus transcends all human relationships, even among family members. Now, you might have heard me say before that in heaven, there will be no nuclear biological family anymore. There will only be the family of God, okay? And, and here Jesus is pointing us in that direction to say, ultimately, allegiance to me, affection for me, is the central priority and relationship in your life as a believer. And so don't be surprised if this gospel message brings disruption to families or brings um, difficult choices between who we're allied with, allied with or, or, or not. It doesn't mean that we go seeking conflict or opposition among our family, for example. It just means that we should not be surprised that when the gospel is at stake, it can oftentimes bring division. It brings peace among believers, okay, unity among believers, but it can bring division um, between, between believers and those who see the gospel as foolishness or see the gospel as hatred or see the gospel as, as disdainful. And so Jesus reminds us of that. Jesus reminds us that, that ultimately, um, we do not have to fear. We see this in verse 26 and following. When all these disruptions, things are happening in our lives as believers, as there's persecution, as there's, um, as there's opposition, as there's family division, and, and it can really be tempting for us to think, well, something's going wrong here. Something strange is happening. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Have no fear. Because nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. In other words, one day I'm going to come and shine a light on this world and my purposes. And you will see clearly, um, once and for all, face to face, my ultimate purposes in building my kingdom here. But again, it just is a reminder as we meditate on passages like Matthew 10, how strange, okay, and how jarring uh, Jesus's warnings, Jesus's admonitions to the church and to the disciples are in light of the age that we live in, where peace, security, safety, um, um, lack of opposition, th those sorts of things become our standard bearers for truth, those things that we look to to get comfort and security. But again, Jesus reminds us, to be a part of my kingdom means it won't always be that way, the side of heaven. Oftentimes, it's not. I find that very helpful in that it realigns my expectations for this life and this world. A lot of times, I feel like something's going wrong if everything is not going right. When in reality, says Jesus says, this is, this is the way of it. This is the way of the kingdom. This is what it means to be my citizen. This is what it means to be a stranger in exile, someone who is not at home. And again, all this in these seasons like this COVID-19, it reminds us, right? Not our home, not our home. 
And so we want to be like the disciples here. We want to be ready, urgent, on mission, um, not living life with too many encumbrances, being able to move, adapt, be flexible, all for the sake of mission, realizing, okay, this is not our ultimate resting place. Ultimately, that's the kingdom of heaven in Jesus Christ. So that is Matthew chapter 10. Like I said, we're going to be back here first thing Monday morning, Matthew 11, 8 a.m. We will continue our journey, Matthew in a month. Reminder, um, we'll make some announcements about uh, regathering and what um, what it means for Four Oaks to, uh, to be gathering again in, in worship. We'll be talking about that this Sunday during our live stream. Hope you can join us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, passages like this are just like smelling salts, spiritual smelling salts. And they remind us, they remind us that we are exiles, we are sojourners, we are strangers to the world, but we are part of your family now and forever. And so Lord, let, give that, let that give us the confidence, the boldness, courage to move forward into mission in whatever we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Four Oaks. Have a great day.